0: for Cats in Action. And today we're speaking with Stephanie Filer. Stephanie has worked in senior leadership positions at nonprofits for nearly 20 years, leading high-performing communications development and operations teams. Her advocacy efforts at the state and local level have led to countless changes in animal welfare legislation, including overturning multiple decades-old breed-specific discriminatory ordinances across Iowa. After nearly 12 years at the Animal Rescue League of Iowa in August of 2021, she joined Shelter Animals Count as executive director to further advance animal welfare across the country through data-enabled insights. Her professional and civic achievements have earned her 40 Under 40 recognition and the first annual Stephanie Filer Community Impact Award, among many other awards and honors. Stephanie resides in Atlanta, Georgia with her three cats and two dogs. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So we are talking all things statistics today. So if you're driving along and you're thinking, oh, we can't talk about statistics in the car listening to this podcast, we're going to have everything that you need in the show notes. So don't worry about that. There'll be PDFs to information and all that kind of stuff. But this is a great beginning, basic conversation about um Cats, community cat statistics, and what's going on with cats in animal welfare. So before we get there, I'm going to first ask you, why are you passionate about cats?
1: Yeah, I think probably like a lot of people, it goes back to childhood. Always wanted a cat. Always asked Santa for a white cat with blue eyes named Snowball. Never got my white cat with blue eyes. I actually was allergic to cats as a kid, and that didn't stop me from uh, lumming up on them. And then the very first apartment that I got, once I moved out of my home, I adopted my first cat. Um, and then when I actually, my first shelter job that I got, I went up to adoption one day and there was a white cat with blue eyes, um, kitten that I always wanted from Santa. And Snowball is now 13 years old and uh, still part of our family. So um, I, I'm excited to be able to play a bigger role now with advocating for them since I know I can't adopt them all. I only have three. (laughs) Well, so being part
0: of Shelter Animals Count, tell us first a little bit about the organization and then, you know, what are your thoughts statistically, what your discoveries have been over the last year and a half or so uh, about, about cats and in anything about community cats too?
1: Yeah. So shelter Animals Count, we were founded um, about 10 years ago, and the goal was to have a central, neutral um, data source where animal sheltering organizations, rescues, and government could safely and transparently contribute their data so we could look and understand what was happening in the animal welfare system as a whole. Um, A couple of years ago, we expanded that from sheltering data to include community services data, including community cat programs and other return to field type of programs. And then we also expanded it to collect more species beyond cats and dogs. And this year we're gonna be expanding it even further into Canada and also collecting field services data. So we'll be able to understand what's happening in the field, the community and the shelter, and also the um, extra layer of what's happening with that peer to peer, whether it's through a services or more in, um, more likely that peer-to-peer rehoming so we can look at it all as a whole ecosystem and really understand how each role and each success and challenge impacts the whole system so we can better um, know where to direct grant funding programs and other innovation so tell me about cats you know we've gone through
0: the whole pandemic i believe our standard practice is to to look at information from like 2019 And comparing 2019 to 2022, when we sort of think 2020, 2021, we really didn't happen. And we're trying to do a comparison between those two years. Have things changed since 2019 for
1: cats? Yeah, they've changed quite a bit. And actually, even prior to that, I think I entered sheltering as a staff person in 2010, and the refrain was always cats are most at risk, cats are most um, challenged, it's harder to find placement for cats, et cetera. And when we look at the data, we've really seen not only an improvement for cats over the years, um, but also uh, outpacing dogs when it comes to live outcomes, in particular, adaption life outcomes. And so it's a really interesting flip flop that's occurred over the past several years um, when we look at cats as a whole, though, um, we do see some variation in the the reasons why they're entering shelters and the reasons why they're leaving. And some of that is a seasonality thing. But in general, um, just even from the the Q the last four year report that we released that looks at January through December of nineteen twenty, twenty-one and twenty-two. For example, cats saw uh, an average adoption rate across the year last year at 64%, where dogs were only at 53%. And that's the average. Um, dogs pretty much were flat around 51 to 53% the whole year. But what we saw with cats is we got as high as 83%, almost 84% of a, a cats entering shelters in quarter four left through an adoption. But we got as low as 47% in Q2 of cats entering shelters left by adoption. And the interesting thing is the there was an inverse trend of intakes to adoptions. And so the more cats that were entering, actually, the fewer um, adoption or the lower adoption rate there was versus when there were fewer cats, there were actually a higher adoption rate. So there's a lot of things that we could dig into on seasonality and overall reasons for that. Um, but overall, cats are doing better. There's absolutely more room for improvement, but there's a lot of really encouraging signs that the work that we've been doing as an industry for the past decade is, is seen some positive change. So
0: when we hear people say, oh, don't surrender that cat to that shelter, it's just gonna get euthanized how do we discover whether that's true or not
1: yeah so i think that's a that's a difficult thing to answer as a as a national trend i can say i mean that's going to be an individual shelter reason on why they're euthanizing and that's going to change from month to month sometimes day to day um depending on what their resources are and what their population looks like but we can say as a whole when we look at outcome types there're is a lesser risk of cats being euthanized in shelters than there were before. But I think part of that too, is there's an increased focus on the cats that are entering shelters and if they need to be there in the first place. So then that goes to the community programs and even the um, return to field programs when a cat's picked up at a no location that's determined to very much be a community cat, either through, you know, ear tip, microchip or otherwise behavior. And then it's returned back to where it was found so all of those programs are now being tracked in a way that we can start to overlay um but i think across the board i still think it's it's the individual shelter conversation but i don't think it's to the level that people think it is i don't think they're as at risk as we maybe have this perception not to mean that we shouldn't try to find other sources and the shelter shouldn't be the last option if that's um possible but Yeah, it's just, it's not supported by the data anymore. So when I go to your website, I can see
0: information for different regions around the country. Does it get down as far as each individual reporting organization, or is it just based on that region or that state?
1: Yes, yeah, so we have a lot of, we have two different things that people can access as far as data. We have our static reports that are a snapshot in time based on data that we have for the same organizations across that time timeframe. Um, and we publish those as a one-time report. Then we have interactive dashboards that are published on a monthly basis. And we have that trends comparison, which um, compares only the same organizations for those years, and then we also have um, just looking at raw numbers of intakes outcomes that you could look at organizations that maybe um, submitted some data, but not all data for those months. And so there's a lot of different views you can look at. You can slice and dice it by organization type, um, by species, by state, by region. Um, we don't have it at the shelter level right now um, because instead we were finding that organizations really wanted to add some context to what their programs were and what their numbers were. And so we actually have the same versions of dashboards that you can find on our website that organizations are able to put in, use that code and filter it just for their organization. So you can get that on their individual site. But using our dashboard, um, if you're looking at an individual state, um, you can then see how many organizations are reporting and then go out to see those organizations directly.
0: What part of the country reports the most and what part of the country reports the least?
1: You know, that changes each quarter. Um, I think it's it's hard to look at by region without looking at it as number of orgs versus number of animals. And so our goal has really been a balance of number of animals, even if the orgs are a little more skewed. So we know in California, there's a lot of organizations and there's also a lot of animals. Um, But when we look at it from a regional, we are a lot more balanced than um, we used to be. And in fact, when we do our annual data drives, we look at who may be underrepresented, um, what what region, what state, what um, organization type, and we try to target grants towards those underrepresented areas. And when we looked at it for our data drive that we ran in January of 2023, we really saw it pretty evenly represented that we didn't need to do a regional or organizational type this year. Um, so we're really encouraged by that. The other interesting thing is as we start to look at full data sets, so when we look at these four-year comparison, that means an organization needs 48 months of full data to be included. If they have 47, we have to kick them out because it's no longer apples to apples. And so then when we um, look at the full data that we have and then the organizations that we have partial data, we can do some modeling to do some estimates, and the estimates are are still tracking um, as we have some of these fluctuations in who's reporting. So I think overall, we've done a lot of checks and balances to ensure that this is represent- representative of what's actually happening. And we know within each state and within each region, there are some different experiences, although we found in 2022, for the first time, all regions were having challenges where Previously, we had some regions that were doing pretty well, others that were doing not well. And now across the board, all of them are are struggling with too many animals in shelter, which then contributes to the bottleneck of transfer.
0: Cats of the Wild is the podcast for cat lovers who want to make a difference. Listen to inspiring and engaging stories of wildcat conservation and learning how you can help protect cats all over the world. Search for Cats of the Wild in your favorite podcast app now. Do you want to make things easier on yourself and the others in your organization? Our friends at Dubert have teamed up with the Dallas Pets Alive and Spay Neuter Network teams, and together they have created the companion case management module. It allows you to be more proactive with all your organization's needs. Create cases for your clients and organize them by type. Whether it is a rehoming situation, a pet parent needing food or medical assistance, or simply spay and neuter inquiries, CCM can help you manage all of them right from the Dubert system. Plus, a huge bonus, it allows you to connect with those clients right from the case, so there is no need to open up new windows for emails or pull out your phone for text messages. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem-solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. So I want to ask you about these challenges. Are you talking about like staffing shortages or access to spay-neuter? You know, what's happening with volunteers, foster homes? You know, what, what are these challenges that you're seeing? We keep hearing that shelters are closing down or becoming very limited admission. You know, is that because of some of these issues?
1: Yeah, so I think to answer that question first, I think we should talk about what the result is and so what the result is is we we look at what we call a a population balance Um, it's actually a population balance calculation where we look at of the animals entering who's leaving and so um what we've seen pretty has pretty consistently um the past four years is that gap of animals that have entered but haven't left the system continues to grow And so even though intakes aren't increasing to the level that they were in 2019, they're starting to tick up, but they're still far below what they were. Shelters are feeling more full than ever and more strained than ever. And it's because they have more animals being left behind than ever. And so you take that as the result and you start to then look at why. And so the why really does become resources. And I think the assumption has been there's not enough adopters, but what we're finding through some of the surveying is possibly that there are enough adopters. There's just not that adopter access to leave with an animal. And that's when we're just looking at that outcome. And so we're finding that's all tied back to people, um, the people resources. And the primary ones, about 80% of shelters that we surveyed um, said that it's related to a lack of fosters, a lack of volunteers, And a need for more adopters, but even within, or sorry, uh, and then also a lack of staff. And then within the lack of staff, there's that veterinary shortage, whether it's a staff veterinarian or a contract veterinarian, there's just not enough of them. Um, And so all of that starts to snowball into animals being left behind in shelters. And so there's more individual digging that needs to be done to really understand if one thing alone can maybe move that needle and it's starting to look like if we can increase adoption outcomes, we can start to create some relief on this system. And so it, if we can redirect resources that maybe have been directed to um, intake prevention or even animal care into outcomes and getting animals outcome, we can then start having fewer animals in care, which then can allow us to move everything through the system faster. So right now, it's it all comes down to people. The people resources are tight, and they're really playing a huge impact on where we are today.
0: So are you suggesting we kind of go back in time and do these massive free adoptathons and thons and that kind of thing? And you did mention the word transport. So does transport play a role in that, in terms of if we have these big adoptathons, thons I mean, I'm in a, a transport receiving area I'm in New England and so yeah you know if we have a big adoptathon then is that to open up capacity to bring up more cats from the south or are we just gonna tread water and because we don't have enough staff up here
1: yeah I mean I think potentially the the goal is to start to relieve the lack of movement in general and the first is outcoming animals that are are still in shelters. And so I think there's a lot of ways you can address it. And I think one of the the quickest and simplest is to definitely increase outcomes, um, including adoption outcomes. And then I think that's going to be an individual organization level decision on what to do with that space. Um, and, it, and it kind of plays into what are they, are they currently filling the need of the community too? And so this is an organization that maybe is not accepting animals where to the level that the committee needs or the community needs to, maybe their answer isn't transferring in because they just need to now open their doors and make uh surrender or stray animals entering more accessible. Or if they're doing all of that and now they can transfer in, then that would absolutely be the option. So I don't know that there's a one size fits all um, answer on an organization level after we increase outcomes, but I, I think that's really where that bottleneck exists, and it started during the pandemic. Really, that we've just now started to feel each year as it's gotten um, as the outcomes have decreased more and more and more compared to intake, that we we need to free up space before we can even look at what's next. Do you feel
0: that the solutions for community cats falls within a reduction of intake or an increase of return to field? and or community spay neuter, something outside of the sort of the standard data collection?
1: Well, so when we look at community cats, we are tracking it as a community service. And so we actually see for the, the organizations that are reporting community services to us, um, about 51% of them are providing services to cats and about 49% are providing services to dogs. And then when we break it out into um, support, For owners to keep their pets in the homes, Um, it's about 50-50 cat and dog. Field services, which would include TNR and return to field, are vastly like 90%, 95% probably um, with this bar chart uh, cats. And then behavior, vastly dogs. And then veterinary, it's about 50-50. And so um, I think when we look at supporting community cat programs, return to field, et cetera, It's And even the veterinary services, I think it's really looking at that individual animal and what's the best outcome and best next step for them. And so that's how we have it broken out as not necessarily making the assumption that community services is to have intake prevention, but to do the right thing by the animal and the people that are involved, whether that's a community caretaker or it's a a person who's owned by a cat. There's, there's really goes to that intent of the service, and there is some overlap that happens. We know when we support, especially community cat programs, that's going to have a reduction in cat intakes, whether it's the kittens or it's just um, animals not suitable for home adoption, preventing them from ever entering the shelter, and that is a valid reason. But I think there's more to that that both data sets uh, can be valid independently without having to overlay them. But when we do overlay them, we absolutely see as services go up and takes go down.
0: I think one thing that's become really apparent in the last year or so is how far apart our animal welfare challenges are in the dogs versus the cats. I think, you know, our solutions, our, our solutions to success for both species are becoming very different in the past it would have been like oh well we're doing this for dogs let's try it for cats and that might work i mean example uh licensing Mm -hmm. you know dog licensing worked and you know so then maybe we think about it for cat licensing and that's sort of you know just taking a dog solution and moving it into but but the environment for cats is totally different than dogs so we have this discovery process where the solutions for the dog challenges
1: are different than the cat challenges that we
0: have. Are you seeing that too?
1: Yeah, I think that kind of gets into individual philosophy that I think is really interesting. And it's something that I've kind of just personally have noodled around, even like when it comes to return to owner. We, for the past several years, the return to owner rates have been pretty consistent um, with cats, which are usually about a third to a fourth of what they are for dogs. And trying to understand is, is that because that's really as high as they should be? Or, you know, are we talking about kind of back to the community cats, cats that really don't have an owner looking for them? And so they're not lost and they're not stray. And so, yeah, I think they're, I think it is interesting to look at the broad application that we put across each species and even just understanding how cats have really started to outpace dogs with adoptions, And because of it, they we're seeing fewer shelter euthanasias with cats than dogs and we're seeing it um, pretty consistent rate. Like last year um, it was about 6% of cats that were, that injured shelters had a, a shelter euthanasia outcome. And so that's incredibly low. And so if we look at, I think, what is it about cats and and why are they having a better outcome before when they had such a, a opposite experience um, the past decade? There can be a lot of theories on to our messaging, the policies, yes, like the licensing and whatnot. But I think also really starting to get to as housing and the environment and the economy, all of the economic environment is all changing. Cats are still really easy to care for and way more affordable. And they're way easier to allow in housing a lot of the times. And so that could be a reason. And and so I think what we tend to do in the shelter world is we're like, Oh well, if it doesn't apply to all animals, we shouldn't talk about it. And I think here's an opportunity to say you can't have a dog, get a cat, and we can get them an animal. Um, just as we would say you can't have a large dog, get a small dog, or you can't have a puppy, get a senior dog. Um, so I think it it really is something that we don't have a lot of information to necessarily track on the sheltering data side, but it, it's worth looking into on a case study to see what's working for orgs and why. But across the board. Across the country, every region, we're seeing it's working for cats in general. Something's working for cats in general. We had in January alone, comparing the past three years, 72% of cats left through an adoption. That's incredible. Roughly around 7% returned to the field and about uh, 3% returned to owner. But we have seen that transfer out start to decrease. But really that, that shelter euthanasia, lost in care, died in care, is so small. And I don't remember in my sheltering history having it be that small. It was always always the, the number we were trying to reduce. And and here we are. Doesn't mean there's not room for improvement, but I think we've seen a lot of good changes. Stephanie,
0: if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you're doing with your team at Shelter Animals Count, how would they do that?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple ways. Um, you can go to our website, check out the dashboards, the reports. You can follow us on um, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can sign up on our website, too, to get email updates that are relevant, um, particularly for sheltering and fostering organizations, but also have a lot of interest for just public as well. Um, And then for your organizations, either if you work at a shelter, volunteer at a shelter, or just support a shelter, uh, checking out to see if they're sharing the dashboards on their own site. It's a free service that we offer. There's a lot of uh, tools and other comparisons and reporting that shelters can do in the portal that they have. So there's a lot of tools that we can offer to make um, really understanding the data easier and start to identify where the the needs still exist. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I think the only other thing is the more data we have, the more insights we can provide. And so continuing to make data a priority and not necessarily go based on how we feel, but what we um, can support with data and and do a lot of um, asking questions and and testing some of our programs that maybe we think are helpful, but actually aren't resulting in the outcomes that we need. Um, And then also we have a new section on our website that goes into asking experts what they're doing and um, what they recommend, especially as we look ahead to 2023 um, through the end of the year. It's going to be right now it's forecasting to be our most challenging of the past five. And so we really can't wait any longer to, at least in the sheltering side, we really can't wait any longer to really um, start to unclog this system. We have to do it now. And there's a lot of tools and resources um, directing people on some ways that they could try to do that. Stephanie, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show and I
0: hope we'll have you on again in the future. All right, thank you.